Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, a USO sighting off of the USS Nimitz back in 1991. That's correct, the sighting goes clear back to 1991 and it was reportedly sighted from the deck of the USS Nimitz. Now, of course, we know that Nimitz is quite famous for those Tic Tac videos that came out from sightings in 2004. We all know the story about how they were clandestinely released to the New York Times, then to uh, Tom DeLonge's group, to the Academy of Stars, and then finally, in 2019, uh, the Department of Defense owned up to the videos. So the Nimitz seems to have, have quite a long history of sightings with UFOs and USOs. Now, this particular sighting I found interesting because we have uh, two different uh, interview accounts, and then we have a third um, investigator's analysis of the witness and of the witness's veracity. And I think it's very important to see how three different um, people, three different media, really look at this thing and what happened. The first account comes from a YouTube channel called Quest TV. I'm not sure who they're owned by. I need to look that up. But it's you know it's a very uh, professionally done, very slick done thing, much along the lines of a lot of the stuff that uh, Louis Elizondo is doing. You have the investigators go around, and uh, it's it's an old idea. I think it was much better done back in the day when the History Channel had the UFO hunters out there. I think they did. I think they did it. They did it that way better than anybody. But. I flip on YouTube, I'm looking through some stuff online, and I've come across this, uh, oh, probably about a seven or eight minute documentary. Now, just to kind of bring you up to date, the source I said, of course, is from the YouTube channel Quest. The sighting date's 1991. The eyewitness is listed as a man named Kevin Thomas. He was a uh, Navy person on board that ship. He says... The object was a USO, that it was a huge black triangle shape, that it was hovering above the water, that it was larger than the Nimitz, and the Nimitz being about, I think they said, 1,000 or 1,100 feet long. And he described this thing as being like the size of three football fields. And he's looking at one edge of the triangle, which is um, 30, 40, 50 foot tall, as it hovers above the water. And he says that it's really not disturbing the water at all below it. And then he deci- he dis- he discusses how he uh, sat there on the deck of the Nimitz that night and watched this thing hovering there for about a half hour, at, at which point it just uh, accelerated at 15 to 20 Mach, he estimates, and just darted up into the uh, sky, much like the Tic Tacs moved. That's, that's the basics of it. Now, at the beginning of this video, and this is the first video we're talking about, this is a, a recent video that came out on YouTube Quest TV. It's, it's this very slick style that you see so often today when um, we get into uh, what's, what passes for investigative work. You know, we're, we're, at least when you watched um, the, the fellows on the History Channel, it seemed like 
you had people that really went out into the field, interviewed people in depth, and spent several days, you know, going over a, a, a specific incident. This thing here, it's fun to watch for seven minutes, but what do you get out of it? I notice, and I, I want to point out, at the beginning of the video, probably the first third or first half of the video just involves these two investigators, so-called, running around aimlessly trying to find this witness. And you have the shaky camera angles, you know, the zoom-ins. I have to tell you, there are two people that are the star of the show. This, And I can't even remember their names, but the first, the, the lady uh, uh, introduces herself to the camera as an astrophysicist. She's probably in her mid-30s, early 40s. And I have to tell you, she single-handedly has the tightest pair of pants I've ever seen on an astrophysicist. You just wonder what's going on here, man. That's an aside. The gentleman is a younger guy who describes himself as a former Marine. So you can kind of see right up front, they are presenting these two authority figures. You have the one person, the woman, the woman she is uh, put into the storyline as this super intelligent person. I mean, if she's an astrophysicist, certainly she knows everything there is to know about UFOs. And then you have the you have the uh, physically fit young guy who's probably late twenties, early thirties, maybe, who is a former marine. So you have you have super smart lady and hero status for the dude. They they're you, you, when the when the video starts, you see these two people. Uh, driving around this town of Texas, knocking on doors, and they explain that they're looking for their uh, UFO witness. Well, I'm thinking, why are you driving around the last known address of this guy knocking on doors? I mean, if you found his last known address, wouldn't it be likely that you could find his current address? I mean, this is a pretty this is a pretty uh, upscale production. There's a lot of money behind this behind this little seven-minute documentary. No doubt about it. You would have thought that they could have hired somebody to do, I don't know, a 10-minute online search. So they kind of start off, in my mind, with, with what is a false premise. And that is that the, U, that the uh, USO eyewitness, that the eyewitness, if for some reason, is afraid to come forward. So they're creating that dramatic tension. This is kind of the exact opposite of what we should be looking for, I think, when we're trying to investigate a UFO case. I mean, do we really need to spend half of a seven-minute video watching people drive around knocking frantically on doors to find the witness? Finally, uh, they get a house. They find that they find the place that this witness, Kevin Thomas, had lived in. They talk to the former owner. He doesn't know anything. He sends him somewhere else or whatever, however it happens. They, they finally find a young guy who says, oh, yeah, I think he's living, um, I believe it's in Boneham, Texas. So then we see the obligatory drone shot of them driving along the highway in the pickup truck together. They show up at the witness's door. Now, you know, this is not Frank and Mike on American Pickers, where at least they get a call from the office girl telling them that, hey, we're going to have Frank and Mike there with a camera crew to look at your junk they want to buy. This is just two people supposedly cold calling this guy. And, you know, he looks a little surprised, but you got to wonder. I mean, is it even feasible that these people showed up at his door? I mean, wouldn't your first question be, hey, what's the camera for? But nonetheless, I show up at this guy's house. By the way, a very nice house. 
And uh, the first thing out of the astrophysicist's mouth, it's almost laughable. He says, the, the witness says, uh, Kevin says, uh, how did you find me? You know, more dramatic effect. And she says, well, we're investigators and we're really good at our job. I don't know. You're trying to find somebody and your way to find them is to drive around the last town that you thought they lived in and knock on random doors? I mean, most people today have a smartphone. I think I would have just picked up the smartphone and started typing in the guy's name. You could have probably found him. Well, there's a little back and forth, and the second investigator, the Marine, he lets, he lets this rattled uh, eyewitness know that he was a Marine. Well, that's the bonding point. So they come in the door, and uh, Mr. Thomas gives them uh, about, about a two-minute uh, rundown of what he saw. He explains that... Uh, he tells them that he was in charge of the uh, photo lab for uh, the enlisted people on the ship. And he doesn't really get too much into his job detail, other than to say that, that uh, he liked to go out on the deck of the aircraft carrier after his shift was done. He explains that uh, uh, apparently there was some moonlight out that night, but it was pretty dark. And he liked to go out there and watch the dolphins and whatnot. Okay, whatever. And then he says that the, while he was on deck, uh, by himself, out, just all alone out here on the aircraft carrier, that the ship went into what they call a, a darkness exercise, or darkness mode. And I guess that's, um, or they call it darkened ship, I guess is the actual term for it. And that's a situation where all the lights go out on the ship, and it's a way to hide from the enemy. Well, he finds out that he's stuck out in the deck, he's out there by himself in the dark, and that's when he happens to see this giant uh, triangle-shaped UFO the size of three football fields. And it's hovering there about 30 foot off the water, I think he said. And the, the UFO itself has a height of uh, 30, 40, 50 feet, something in that range. He thinks it's a couple hundred yards away from where he's at. So that's, you know, that's a pretty good distance. And uh, he just describes how it just hovers there for about a half hour or so while he's on the deck. And then just before the ship comes back, to being uh, lit up, this thing just zooms uh, off into off into the uh, space, basically. Pretty fascinating uh, description. He didn't have. He said he didn't see any lights on the ship. He didn't see any aliens. Uh, he seems pretty sincere when you watch the video. And like I said, you can link. I have links to the video uh, posted at ufowarning.com. You can go there and link directly to both of these. Uh, uh, interviews that, that we're talking about. So, the eyewitness uh, the eyewitness account uh, did seem plausible. I mean, he seemed like a real person. He didn't seem, you know, he didn't seem like he was uh, trying to make something up. His story seemed sincere. Uh, so, I was a little bit, I was a little bit um, annoyed that half of the seven-minute video focused on these two uh, investigators, quote unquote driving around in a pickup truck, knocking on doors, looking for this guy, when they could have just spent the whole seven minutes talking to the guy. And that's a problem that I have with most of these short little uh, documentaries that we find on YouTube, or even on, like, you know, Discovery Channel or History Channel now. They leave out a lot of details. A lot of it is just um, focused on camera work, on building drama. It's all an emotional thing, and we're not really getting... Uh, getting to the facts most of the time. Entertaining? Yes. 
informative? Well, maybe not so much. Well, in the interview, Mr. Thomas uh, says that he never really came forward until the uh, Tic Tac videos came out. Now, he didn't say, I've never talked about this. I've never mentioned it. He just said, I never really talked about it. So he kind of qualifies his response. So he, you, what, the feeling that you get from the whole little seven-minute documentary is that we have a eyewitness that saw a, a extremely enormous UFO. He was very shaken by it, and he never, never wanted to talk about it. Important to point out here that after the video, after the ship went from darkened mode to a normal mode, uh, the door that he needed to get through to get back, you know into the ship, opened. Uh, he was questioned about what he was doing on deck. The next day, a couple of private, a couple of uh, uh, ununiformed uh, investigators showed up, had uh, a relatively long interrogation with him, and during that time, uh, he declined to reveal that he'd seen a UFO because he felt like maybe he wasn't supposed to see it. Seems like he felt threatened or whatever. I can understand all that. So after all this happens, back in 1991, so what we were presented with is a eyewitness, a military eyewitness of a UFO, who feels like he saw something he shouldn't have seen, and as a result has decided not to talk about it. He says, I never really talked about it after that. But now, all of a sudden, the Tic Tac UFO comes out in 2017, and then it is... Uh, basically owned up to by the DOD in 2019, and now all of a sudden he feels relieved enough and safe enough where he can talk about it a little bit, but he's still presented as somebody who is basically trying to live off the grid. Okay, that's the bio of this guy, but there's a couple problems with it. First off, he did talk about it. He talked about it at a UFO conference back in 2015, and I found that video with a little... It wasn't super hard to find, but it, there was a little bit of trouble finding it because in that video, you can clearly see it's the same guy, but he goes by the name of Kevin Thomas Via. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. So for some reason, he's using this third name, Via. Anyway, it's about a 20-minute video with a MUFON investigator or interviewer, I guess you would say, young gal. And she does a very good, very supportive interview that lasts about 20 minutes. I repeat, this is in 2015. The Quest video just came out, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago. So we, we have a five-year period there. So he said that he, quote, never really talked about it. Well, he did talk about it. I don't know if you would call that really talking about it. But he explains in this MUFON interview, which is actually a much more thorough, and in my opinion, a much better interview than what we get from this little three minutes on the Quest video. He explains... Um, what happened, how he saw the UFO. He gives just a tad bit more detail about how there really weren't lights on it, but apparently when he was observing the UFO, it 
appeared that the coloration on the on the side that he saw there seems like there was some uh, gradation in the in the color of it. Maybe there were like uh, columns to it, not really light so much. Um, he but he he still just has the same basic description of this giant triangle, and you can go to ufowarning.com and you can watch that MUFON video from the link right there. It's about 20 minutes. Now he goes into a lot of detail though on how uh, he was personally affected by it. He goes into, uh, basically, he felt a little traumatized when he shared this experience with uh, people back home. Apparently, he talked to his his uh, mom about it. He said he was a, he'd been raised a single kid. He talked to, to people in his church about it. And he goes into quite a bit of detail about how uh, he felt like people um, were kind of freaked out about it, how people treated, treated him differently. And he goes into this whole, uh, this whole, description of how he felt and really a lot of negativity around it and you can watch the video and just you know see how he describes that he basically had what he pretty much described as a crisis of faith sometimes people do have this reaction when they see these ufos they're not able to uh, really comprehend how uh, the phenomena of ufos can exist in the same place where their religious beliefs exist at kind of like um, they they have a hard time they have a hard time uh, living with these two things that seem to be quite true to them some people have a lot more of a need to explain things than other people some of us just happen to see one of these things and we're just like wow that was interesting i'm not sure what it was and then maybe we go on our own quest to find out what it is or just to speculate other people seem to see these things and they get really, uh, they, experience, they experience a lot of cognitive dissonance over it. Somehow they, they, they have in their own mind that in a place uh, that, they, that, that they see the world as, you know, from their religious perspective or their belief in God or whatever, there's no room for UFOs for whatever reason. And so they have a kind of a very strict view of the world a very uncompromising view of the world, and they have a need to explain everything. And sometimes that can get you in trouble because there's a lot of things that we can't understand in life. And if we sit there and we try to uh, explain everything that pops up in our paradigm with the tools that we have available to us, things can get pretty, pretty freaky for us. On the other hand, if we just go through life and accept that there are certain things that we don't understand, but we just have to be able to uh, compartmentalize things sometimes and not get too preoccupied with trying to explain this thing. I mean, that's my suggestion. If a person has a UFO encounter or a UFO sighting, it's kind of like the old Eagles song, don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. I mean, sometimes we just have to see these things. Things happen in life that we can't explain, and there's no reason to lose your religion over it. There's no reason to lose your mind over it. I mean, it's okay to be comfortable with things that we can't explain, I think. And this guy seemed to be really uncomfortable with something that he'd seen that he couldn't explain. And that's kind of what made me feel like his account was genuine. Even though there were some things that he said that were... I had questions, like the whole point about him saying that he hadn't really talked about this before. And maybe that's part of the editing, and that brings up another point that I've talked about before. 
ever since these Tic Tac videos came out, it seems like they've had such an impact, um, you know, on the zeitgeist of the UFO phenomena that every, uh, every slickly done broadcast that concerns UFOs, every, every article that's pumped out by one of these uh, writers who no doubt is, you know, working from home, producing as many words as they can to get paid for, and basically they're just creating content to get paid, and they don't really care how good that content is. Well, the easiest thing in the world to do is to cut and paste the Tic Tac story. And it, quite frankly, it gets extremely tiresome to see this stuff come up in almost every single UFO uh, article or documentary that, that comes across the Internet. And I'm sure you've noticed this. You can't pick up a, you, you can't click onto a UFO article anymore, a mainline news article, without seeing the... Um, a video still from the Tic Tac video and having that same, you know, three or four paragraphs tossed in there. They use it as filler and they use it as a way to uh, add authority or to make a connection with the audience. And this is what Quest has done here. They've taken this sighting uh, that that happened aboard the Nimitz, even though it was over, I believe he said it was south of the Philippines and north of the Carolinas or the opposite way. But it's off in the Pacific. They were on their way back from, actually, the first uh, Iraq War uh, theater. So this was, you know, 13 years before the second sighting. But even though you're halfway across the world, they still want to use that Tic Tac video, that, that account of those pilots, which now has been validated. See, here you go. They're at this appeal to authority. It's been validated by the Department of Defense. That so must be true. So you see this happening over and over again. Uh, no matter how um, remotely connected, they want to bring up that 2004 encounter and tie that into whatever they're talking about. And this can be a little bit of a problem because it really sometimes can uh, stretch the narrative out and make it a little bit uh, less clear what we're talking about. So that's just kind of the difference that I saw between the two interviews. The first interview um, was your typical slick production stuff, you know, a, a, a little silly actually. People going around knocking on doors to find somebody and then introducing themselves as investigators who are, quote, really good at their jobs. Well, if you were really good at your job, you wouldn't have to get in your car and drive around looking for somebody you would probably find everything you need to know online and whatever database you needed to search. That part was silliness. And then, you know, you find this guy who is supposedly, you know, trying to live off the grid because he's worried about coming forward about this sighting. Well, if he was that worried, then why did he do a 20-minute interview and an appearance at a MUFON conference back in 2015? Those are some questions that need to be answered. As I said, the MUFON interview, I thought, was actually a, a far better interview, just done by uh, this gal from MUFON, uh, you know, in front of a camera with a microphone, compared to what we're given through Quest, this typical online documentary today, which is just a slickly produced little seven-minute video straight out of Hollywood. Now, the third perspective, I want to look at this very quickly, and I won't go into it uh, too far because it's a very detailed argument, a very detailed argument, a very detailed article, and the article came out October tenth, two thousand eighteen, and the website is 
ufojoe.net. And I also have a link there at the website, ufowarning.com. Now, of course, this article came out before the recent Quest documentary, but about three years after the MUFON interview. And it says, uh, military photographer Kevin Villa. So here we have the third name used. Or three different names being used. Kevin Thomas, Kevin Thomas Villa, and Kevin Villa. It says, military photographer Kevin Villa allegedly saw an unidentified submerged object, USO, while he was aboard the USS Nimitz. Now, I just want to point out that in the Quest documentary, they presented him as somebody who simply ran the photo lab for the enlisted people aboard the Nimitz. But during the MUFON interview, you find out that he had like 18 accommodations from different uh, admirals, uh, and that he had had, of course, exemplary reviews until uh, until the UFO sighting, at which point his reviews went downhill, and he was eventually discharged, I think he said with a disability from the Navy. So he also uh, goes into great detail about uh, his other times that he that he was a, a combat photographer that he had been on the scene when uh, George Bush had his infamous uh, food poisoning incident in Japan and he talks a lot more about what he did and it seemed like he was doing a lot more than simply running the photo lab for uh, the enlisted folks now it goes on here it says Okay, military photographer Kevin Villa allegedly saw a unidentified submerged object while he was aboard the USS Nimitz. He was interviewed about it at the MUFON Symposium back in 2015 by Erica Lukes, and recent and recently video of that interview surfaced again on face on the Facebook group I belong to. Now that's the video that I was talking about that I have a link posted to at the UFOWarning.com site. It says on first listen. On first listen, he sounded credible to me, but then I checked back with the group and saw a few posts from researcher Christoph Spitzer. Now I'm not so sure. In a perfect world, Kevin would clarify some of the issues that Christopher brought up. The main reason I wanted to post this was to show people the level of detail some researchers get into when trying to vet a case. Christoph is one of the best, and below are his Facebook posts edited very lightly for me for clarity. Thanks for him allowing me to post his comments here. Now I'm not going to get into all these comments. You can go on. You can go online and you can link to this article. But but basically what happened was in 2015, Kevin Thomas Via came out with MUFON and he gave this extensive interview and described the sighting in detail. So what happened was people began to listen to this and. Just members of the community, in particular this Christoph Spitzer, started to try to reconstruct the sighting. They actually got pictures of the USS Nimitz, uh, people that had been in the Navy, people that had been on board that ship, and they tried to more or less do a, uh, a 3D uh, simulation of what happened. And they get into a lot of detail about whether or not it would have even been possible to see the UFO from his vantage point. They get into questions about whether or not it would have been possible for somebody to have been locked outside on deck of the ship during one of these darkened, uh, darkened ship exercises. They get into whether or not uh, the gangplank that he referred to would have been where he said it was. So this article goes on for quite quite a bit in depth and really uh, 
allows you to look at the sighting, imagine what it would have been like on the deck of that ship back in 1991 out in the middle of the Pacific, and whether or not Kevin or anybody else could have been in the place he said he was and actually seen anything, let alone a USO. And they don't really come to any hard, fast conclusions. It seems to me this article kind of uh, airs a little bit on the side of caution. It calls into question some things and says basically that there's some questions that need to be uh, answered by Kevin in order for people to understand whether or not it would have been possible for him to have found himself in that situation to begin with. You know, what are the chances that he could have even seen dolphins off that deck at night? Uh, what was the weather like? You know, was what was the phase of the moon like? Do we have an exact date of when this happened? So it takes a much more scientific, clinical approach to the eyewitness account. And that's what has to be done if we're ever going to take uh, the UFO phenomena investigation to the next level. What I see, personally, what I, what I find happening so much today, and I think a lot of this it goes back to the whole situation with DeLong and the To The Stars Academy, where the whole uh, thing is, there's so much so much focus on media and controlling the narrative. When you have uh, so-called experts in the field that will not be truthful with people about their role in the release of classified material or whether or not that material was classified, uh, when, you have, when you have people in charge of these big UFO groups that just want to spoon feed you what they want to spoon feed you and and when you watch these uh, very slickly produced uh, little documentaries 5 10 20 minutes long on YouTube or TV or whatever they are hardly ever do they take a um, very scientific approach to uh, the the, the, the physical events that surrounded the sighting. This person's here. Could they see it from this angle? Now that's something that uh, the UFO hunters from the History Channel used to do. That, that series was out about, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. They would send the three guys out and they would literally go to the UFO sighting and uh, they, would, they would stand where the witness was. They would measure the angles, the distance, and they would try to recreate the actual uh, sighting circumstances to determine whether or not a sighting would have even been possible. And when when investigators do that kind of work, just like this Christopher Spitzer has done, when they do the kind of work where they recreate uh, the place where the sighting happened, then it adds so much to it. Just like when I had my, my sighting, I called MUFON, and the first thing the fellow asked me was um, how big it was. And then what we realized was is that when I saw this, this thing, it must have been one of these, it, it seemed like it got larger, uh, you know, the size that this, this, the, as the sighting progressed over that, well, you know, over that half a minute or so, uh, this thing was filling up the space that it was in. This is something we see commonly in these things, some people call them shapeshifters, where the UFOs that we see uh, might seem a little, they seem to change size and shape as the sighting progresses. So by just talking to the investigator and estimating, you know, what this thing looked like, like in my case, you know, I had I had an initial estimate of the size of the craft, but then when I explained to him that, um, you know, how it how it kind of filled up the medium of the highway, he's like, well, listen, that's way bigger than what you're describing to me, and you know, by by going through 
and actually analyzing what we saw and just being open and honest and transparent about it, we can begin to identify the type of craft we saw. Did we see a craft or did we see a phenomena? So like with this fellow here, with Mr. Uh, Thomas Villa, if we could actually recreate um, an idea of, of what he saw, where he was at on that ship, and what he would have been able to see, then we can determine things like, well, was this craft that he saw, was it an actual mechanical craft, or could this have been one of these situations where this thing is more or less a phenomena, and the size that he perceives uh, could be different from one point to the next. So what do we, and that lets us know what we're dealing with. And so the problem that I had with both interviews actually was that we lacked this clinical analysis of the sighting itself. And by doing that, uh, you open yourself, you open yourself up to a lot of doubt, a lot of scrutiny, and it's not as helpful as far as uh, creating uh, a body of knowledge about what these things are and how they act. So that was just, I thought, interesting because there were three different perspectives. The first perspective is just this very slickly produced, uh, you know, for-profit little video that pops up on YouTube. It's well done. A lot of good camera work. Probably cost a lot of money to make that video, but you don't learn much from it. You just, you learn the, you learn a little bit about the witness, not much. You uh, hear what they say they saw, and that's pretty much it. And then the second video, a much longer video, the production quality on it wasn't nearly as slick, but you did seem like you got a lot more uh, introspection into the witness. You got a lot into what the witness felt. You have a lot more emotional content, but we still didn't have a really uh, scientifically critical analysis of where they were at on that ship when they saw it. So from a third perspective... Uh, this person doesn't really care about what the guy felt when he saw it. He's not even looking so much at the sighting itself. He's just looking at the exact location of where the witness claims to have been on that ship. And then he's he's going around and he's gathering all of the knowledge he can find about the ship. Uh, basically trying to build a diagram of that ship. And then putting that person there in a 3D position. And then recreating that scene. It's just like just like they did on the old UF hunters, UFO hunters show back in the day. And and just and just uh, measuring out the angles and saying, well, could he have seen around the aircraft carrier's island, they call it, the, the command control, that tower there. Could would he have been able to see around that from where he was at? Uh, would he have been able to have even been in the place he says he was at the time he says he was? So they're going through and they're recreating that witness eyewitness scene to determine if it was possible to see anything. And then once we determine that, then we can begin to understand what he saw. Three different perspectives, three completely different uh, results. Like I said, all the links are there at the UFOWarning.com. Until next time, this is UFO Warning over and out. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.